Welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. Hey guys, and I'm Rob Federick. Excited to be here. Hey, and a million miles away on the East Coast, it's me, Rob Schulte. And uh, guys, I gotta tell you, it had been so long since I saw Sleepy Hollow in theaters, and boy, I don't want to give away the ending, I was very pleased rewatching it. Wait, hold on. So you haven't seen this movie since 1999? Yep. Wow. <laughs> seen it since oh. then. I just saw it. Like, I literally saw it maybe like three weeks ago. And then Peter was like, I want, we want to review that. And I was like, guess I'm watching Sleepy Hollow again. Boom, it's, baby. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's a head roller for sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> which, which, by the way, so because we're talking about heads rolling off, if you haven't seen this movie, you Ooh. should maybe not decapitate your head, but punch <laughs> yourself in the face just because <laughs> it is a movie that you need to watch. It's probably one of Tim Burton's best by far. Um, oh, yeah, and you know ooh, why? You big know why, statements. You no, know, it is. And you know why I, I, I'm in total agreement with Rob. And you know why I think that? It's because he wasn't Tim Burton when he made this movie. You know what I mean? He still had done Batman, but he still there were still people that were kind of keeping an eye on and controlling him and making sure that he didn't go all wacky like he did by the time he did Alice in Wonderland 10 years later. But that's what I mean. I think, I you think know? for me, I don't know if I think he was Tim Burton, but when Tim Burton was in his prime, like for me, big fish is obviously like my, one of my favorite movies of his just because of the dramatic nature of it. And I think that and sleepy hollow are his last real movies that, like we're in the Tim Burton fashion. He sort of revisited it back with, uh, with uh, Sweeney Todd, which was okay. Um, but I think that Sleepy Hollow has all the character that Tim Burton was known for when he started making like Batman, Batman Returns, Edward Scissorhands. Like he had yes. that, that like esoteric creepy touch uh, visually that we don't see in his new movies now, unfortunately. Rob, what stood out to you in this movie since you haven't seen it in what, 20 years now? That's crazy. That's crazy. I think the first thing that jumps out to me is how vibrant the blood was. Oh, yeah. It might seem, you know, kind of like simple because there are a lot of things that jumped out to me. But that was one of the things I wrote down. It was just like, I love the color palette of this movie and how I was shook when I would see blood because it's so gray. It's so blue. It is so like... Um, just toned in a certain way that you know you're hitting something important or gory or just like a, a an exclamation point of the movie yes. with the yeah. vibrancy of that blood. Yeah, exactly. You and, know, it's it's like very red. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. but it's also very thick too. I don't know. It, I think it was just a, a choice of the blood that he. I mean, it's a very stylized film. Yes. You know, let me tell you something yes. about this, guys. And you know, because when I first saw this movie, I lived. I was at the ranch. I, I lived in Texas, and uh, I was. I, you know, I was a teenager, and I saw it right when it came out, and I was all like, yeah. "This is going to be one of my staples for Halloween every year." And every time yeah. I see this movie, I get. I feel like it's October. It's very interesting. Yeah, but I had, it, it has that effect on me. I think it came out because I remember seeing it in New Jersey, which was like a great place to see it in the fall because it felt like Hell Sleepy yes. Hollow, right? It's like an yeah. East Coast town. Like all the trees had lost their leaves. It was like the perfect. I remember I think it came out near Thanksgiving because I remember seeing it, I think on Thanksgiving Day 
and then coming back to have Thanksgiving at the house. And I remember I whipped out the camera and I had these pumpkins from Halloween that lit up. And I remember filming them in my basement, just kind of trying to experiment to see if I could get the same look yes. as what I saw. Oh, cool. um, and it was, it, was, it was something that was really awesome. But I really enjoyed this movie from a production standpoint, not only just the story, but the production really captivated me. Schulte, going back to 99, what was your experience with it? Well, I, you know, the vague memories I have of that time, I remember seeing it. I remember being excited about it. I was always a Tim Burton fan, you know, Batman, Edward Scissorhands. These were like staples of my childhood. Um, and then this was one of those first movies where director and product really started to like click with me that like people have styles. And I think I've talked about this before a little bit, but like this is one of those ones where I was like, oh yeah, Tim Burton. Uh, I know him from A Nightmare Before Christmas and Edward Scissorhands, so I like those. I'm going to like this. And going into it, I think there were some elements to me in 1999, I think I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, that like I was a little bit too cool for certain things. But upon revisiting it and remembering moments from then, I still remember being captivated in the theater, but not having the film knowledge to like respect some of the choices it made. Like I wanted the burning pumpkin head, you know, right, I wanted right. things like that because I was still that close to my childhood memories of Sleepy Hollow. The God, Disney uh, version, the one that, that well, or just like even hearing the short stories, you know, right, or right. experiencing, you know, the Disney version. Well, so, they did throw like, that in there. <laughs> they, oh, threw, yeah. they threw homages to it for sure when Ichabod lands totally. the horse the, ups, the other way around and stuff. But as you're like in that age range, you sort of like, you know, this is a broad stroke, but like that's the sort of age where you start like butting heads with your parents and authority and things like that. And I think in going to this movie, as much as I, yes, enjoyed it, I think I was just like, oh, that's when I first started being like, well, I would have done this or I would have written this as a review, you know, but wow. I, like, quite frankly, I couldn't complain walking out of it. It was such a fun, like spooky Tim Burton horror film. What did you guys think of Johnny Depp in this movie? Because I remember I was like 14 when I saw this movie. So I just remember that like my experience of, of Johnny Depp was Edward Scissorhands and he looks so different. And then. Ichabod Crane is just such a particular character, right? That yeah. like he is, he does it really well. He does it so peculiar. He has these quirks and mannerisms. He's kind of funny, but he's also brave and he's also a coward. It's like, it's like a mix of all these emotions. But I remember just thinking like, wow, what a chameleon. And like Johnny Depp kicks this, I mean, like he knocks this one out of the park for me. Like, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, this ain't no shock a lot. No, I'll tell it's you not. That, right? No, no. <laughs> but he did like this is like one of my only memories of him playing the straight hero. You know what I mean? Whereas like you know Johnny ah. Depp is Captain Jack Sparrow is a little quirky, and all of his roles since then have been a little quirky. This one, but then even before that, Donnie Brasco, he he played like the straight hero in that one too. Yeah. But, well, and we can't forget Twenty One Jump Street. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, are you talking about the movie where you? The, well, no. Remember, he was on the TV show. Yeah. You know, so you yeah, like, can't remember him being eaten by the bed in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that's God. true. That's yeah, incredible. that's true. But I, I really like that the the direction that they took this because the original story, Ichabod Crane, is a school teacher, and he wanted to have he wanted to copy the whole Disney look. He wanted to have the big nose. Yeah, he wanted to be unattractive. Ears. Yeah, and and the studio was all like, no, no, no. Nowadays, he probably could pull that off. He probably could. Probably. He has that clout to be like, okay, I wanted, but the studio was all like, we need the sexy man. So, you know, uh, that, that's what he was in this film. But he also, he had like this, this presence when he goes into the house for the first time and, and uh, Brombone was all like, uh, and you, sir, you haven't told, he's like, get your hand off of me. Well, you know, he's he like, just had this badass moment, but then he's scared of a witch, you know, <clears throat> he puts the, the kid yeah. in front of the <laughs> witch, which um, was, uh, was, you know, uh, yeah. So in other words, my take on that is yeah. he gets ner- He He's such a logical characters. Yes. His entire psyche is based in logic and real world that was, you know, if someone bows up to him, he's ready to fight because he's a cop. But if he encounters something that is otherworldly, that's where he gets freaked out. Right. Because it has a psychological, yeah. he has psychological trauma from what happened to his mom and his dad. Well, you know, Tim Burton describes this movie that the appeal for him was that it's, it's a character without a head versus a character who lives inside his head. Yes, exactly. And oh, he thought shit. that that duality was really what like drew him to the story. And the fact that it's kind of like, even though it's a dark tale, it's like the one real like American folk fairy tale that we have, you know? Um, and, and it was, and I think that that's the way that they approach the making of this film in terms of like the look is, is like, let's make it this dark fairy tale. And it does have those aspects in uh, in it. Absolutely. I just, I just really, I think for me, this is Johnny Depp's best. I like it more than Jack Sparrow, to be honest with you. Same. I will say that. Yep. All right. Well, good episode, guys. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) By the way. Hey, should I? uh, I did find a VHS tape. Oh, absolutely. Yes, let's uh, hear it. I want to video VHS. Let's go. What? In this spirited retelling of the Washington Irving favorite, narrated and sung by Bing Crosby. Hey, wait a second. Wait, what? Wrong VHS tape. Let me pull up the other VHS tape. Um, uh, Master storyteller Tim Burton weaves an eerie, enchanting version of this classic tale of horror. Johnny Depp is Ichabod Crane, an eccentric investigator determined to stop the murderous headless horseman. Christina Ricci is Katrina Van Tassel, the beautiful and mysterious girl with secret ties to the supernatural terror. Ooh, yes. Better than Bing Crosby being in there, I'll tell you I that. know, right? <laughs> yeah. At first I was like, wait, I don't remember Bing Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the musical moments in this yeah, exa- one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I forgot that they do like a little song and dance on the bridge on this one. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you know how I always go off on like, you know, character names and how that's a hallmark of, oh, yeah. uh, of a... Okay. Well, you know how like Star Wars had an epic opening or you, you can recognize like uh, one of my staples for a good movie is is an opening. And this one has a really eerie opening. It's oh, just great. like it's all yeah. it's all of the, the the contract and then and then it looks like blood, but it's not. It's really wax. And then they stamp the the note, the, the letter with the, with the seal, the, uh, seal yeah. and it's a red wax. You, you think it's blood, but right, it's not, right, you know, right. yeah. but it's almost like they're signing their will in blood. 
You know, it's yes. like their death warrant. It's kind of amazing. Every shot in this movie has just an amazing comment. Every scene has a very great atmosphere. There's a really funny story I got to tell you guys. When I was in film school, uh, I think it was like my first year, uh, we had uh, prof- like the guy who was in charge of the film program who really shouldn't have been in charge of the film program came in. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. He came in and he was like, well, we're going to talk today about titles and filmmaking and whatever. And he puts on sleepy hollow. Right. And, uh, or no, like we were watching sleepy hollow is what it was. And, uh, as he's watching the titles, he's like, see, you know, this movie with, if I would never seen this movie, the, these titles just reflect, um, you know, a period piece. And we're all looking at each other like, well, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a period piece, but like, that's not what I get from the titles yeah. of this movie. What I get from the credits of this movie is like spooky heart. And I remember that like the actual professor like looked at him and she's like, wait, no, what? Like, she's like, <laughs> you, I mean, it's a period, but like, that's plain horror right there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, it is so moody. And, and I remember that there was just like this look between them where he was like, don't contradict me type of thing. Oh, but I mean, God. I don't know if anybody else in the room was like, bro, like, like, what did you smoke today before you walked in here? Cause like the titles and the music of sleepy hollow. Danny Elfman. Yeah. I mean, Danny Elfman knocked it out of the park too, but like the intro to this, when he's riding in the carriage to sleepy hollow and you see these smoky kind of, you know, titles with the soundtrack. I mean, it sets the mood for the entire film. Just Ichabod arriving at Sleepy Hollow is a great moment. Completely agree. I, uh, I find that in watching this movie, it's hard to... I think watching any Tim Burton movie nowadays is hard to keep your thought from going to other Tim Burton movies, good or bad, right? Um, And you could say the same thing, I'm sure, about Scorsese or Tarantino or anyone that has, like, critical acclaim of that nature. But, like, I feel like there's a level of fun, like, more fun, like, playground fun with Tim Burton movies. Because, like, we talked about the flashbacks to Ichabod Crane's childhood, like that torture room that his father had. So actually let me back up real quick. Obviously when Ichabod Crane is a child, we're getting film of what a child's perception of a situation is. Sure. So it's a little, although this movie's stylized and over the top in a Tim Burton fashion, like these flashback scenes are even more over the top. Right. But when he's in that like torture room, I totally got vibes of the Edward Scissorhands like creation room that Vincent Price yeah. had yeah. with all of the gadgets and egg ma- egg cracking machines and such. The way I look at it, when he remembers his mom, that's all fake. Like she's not flying through the air or anything. Right. And you see yeah. it because the colors are so vibrant. But what he does remember to like like that's embedded in his mind in his memory is his father killing his mother. You know, that's why the color scheme there when it's the torture room is the same as the rest of the film. The color scheme with with his mom just flying through the air or whatever, going up into the sky or, you know, uh, going twirling around, that color palette is very different from the rest of the movie. You know that it's like, very vibrant. Tim Tim Burton's production designer does it like a lot of really, this is why like 
Tim's used like has gone more into the world of using CG to kind of execute his vision as opposed to like practical effects, which is what this movie is all about. He used to like paint shadows onto the actual set, like weird shadows that wouldn't be there from wow. the light to create a certain sense of ominous feeling or like to, you know, to like just throw things off just slightly askew. Um, and I thought that was just such a brilliant use of, of art direction. Um, and you see it prevalent in this movie. There are also really subtle moments in this movie that convey the mood and the atmosphere. Like we're talking about the vibrant colors and stuff like that. And I actually didn't notice this until like recently is the scene where the family gets killed by the horseman. Yeah. Right before mm-hmm. he comes in, there's like the subtle effect where the fire blows yes, up and yes, you see yes. these demonic looking faces in the fire if you're looking for it. Oh, it's yeah. so subtle, right? Wow. But they did it just to kind of create a little bit of a sense of doom. And those are the things that I miss from Tim Burton films is that, that subtlety, I guess, of the underlying playground world, that he's, the sandbox that he's creating for us to follow. And, and I think Sleepy Hollow does this just so beautifully. I, like, I, I'm blown away by it. I actually totally agree. Because uh, I knew about the, the, the heads in the flame. And I think one of the faces was the, uh, was the horseman. Which brings me right, actually to um, Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, and his <laughs> weapon of choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the big legend around Christopher Walken... <clears throat> is he can't learn any lines. He doesn't memorize any of his lines, right? So what are you, Peter, what, what are you uh, talking about? So this is the perfect role for him, you know? You, ever see, you guys ever see him try to pull off Hook on, on stage? Hook? Oh, my I God. I do know about. what you're talking Hook. about. Yeah. It's like uh, the Peter, Peter Pan, he's all like, Peter Pan has a mother. And then he stops, he's like looking around, he's like, where's Peter my line? As a mother. <laughs> so, so this role for him is just yelling. Ah. He doesn't have to learn any lines. And I'm all like, they, they, cause see what I understand about Christopher Walken's performances is that he just looks off of the camera and he sees the cue card and he knows what his next line is. Oh, that's where that, wow. uh, if you that watch, look from. Well, yeah. If you, if you watch, uh, uh, Wedding Crashers, yeah. in the scene with him and uh, his daughter, uh, uh, Rachel McAdams, yeah. uh, when they're walking, they're, they're talking about Rachel McAdams, you know, whatever, her love life. He's constantly looking off camera to see his next That's life. awesome. <laughs> so yeah. for me, this is the perfect the perfect character for Chris Walken. He doesn't have to learn anything. He just shows up. He's just looking creepy in this one. But you know, this is the second collaboration with Tim and uh, and Walken, right? Because he was in Batman Returns as yeah. Max Shrek. Yeah. Um, but oh, I got to yeah. tell you guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin this a little bit for you. Christopher Walken only plays the Horseman when he's got a head. Do you know? Who, oh. Do you know who plays I the mean, headless I Horseman? I that Hollywood magic. But do yep, you guys no. want to know who plays the headless? I do. Horseman? I know who it is. Yes. You probably know. It's Ray Park. Darth Maul. From Star Wars. Whoa. Because he was Whoa. this very able stuntman. And it's Ray Park with a with a blue, um, like, you know, uh, morph suit Like the, uh, head. the skin mask yeah, on his head, like that, the sock? Yeah, that they used to then remove his head because they didn't want to do the cheesy, like, off-scale The thing they did in the movie? Yeah. Exactly, like what they did with yeah. Brom when he's wearing the two pillows <laughs> over his head. Like, they didn't want to do that, so they, they went not. on a new approach with it, but Ray Park is actually embodying the horseman, which I think is So awesome. you're telling me there's two Star Wars actors in this movie? 
yeah. Because isn't yep. Count Dooku also in this? Well, yeah. that's also one of uh, Tim Burton's uh, favorite actors, honestly. Christopher Lee. Remember, he was the original. Well, not the original, but the second Dracula. Oh, that's right. After Bela Lugosi. Wow. Yeah. In the uh, Peter Holy Cushing. Holy shit. Yeah. Peter Cushing movies. Hey, side note, guys. Just because it's crazy, we mentioned uh, Christopher Lee. That dude is an, um, he has an amazing background. He was a Nazi hunter in World War II, like yeah. espionage stuff, whatever, before shit. he became an actor. He became an actor. He started, you know, he got uh, famous with Saramanga in uh, 007 and Go- The Man the with the Golden Gun. Gun. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, he's part of, he had a metal band when he was like in his 80s. What? And he used to sing for it. And he loved all that stuff. He loved fantasy. He loved Dungeons and Dragons. He loved all of that. He this loved playing Saruman. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, he was actually disappointed in his death in that movie. No, he was. Wow. Yeah, no. yeah. Fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. Yeah. Well, well was, our Christopher Lee bonus episodes will be coming soon, everyone. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll have to do an entire episode just based on Christopher Lee himself. Yeah, yeah. No, That'd phenomenal. be hilarious, dude. Speaking of different actors in this movie, like I think that Christina Ricci was really amazing. I think she was underused to an extent, but the story was a little bit mixed bag before it got to Tim Burton anyway. Right. But I think that like her playing this like subtle red herring the entire movie where you're kind of like, I'm pretty sure she has something to do with this. That's right. a spell. She's drawn in the sand. There's some chalk outlines here. Right. Like, but then like getting the, the, um, the reflection of her like emotions and love interest for Johnny Depp. I don't know. It was understated, but like executed very well. I really enjoyed seeing her in this movie again. Well, yeah, you know what I appreciated about it? It was like a, it was a slow love buildup. You know what I mean? Yes. It wasn't like, you know, Oh, we're going to jump into each other's arms and then jump into bed. No, it was like a, one of those, you know, it's very romantic. It was like just a, a small buildup step by step. You know? And it's a different duality too, because remember we talked about the character that lives in his head and all that. Christina Ricci yeah. is a, a a curator of the supernatural, and like she believes outside of all that. And Ichabod's the total opposite. And I think that that was a really interesting dynamic. And also, Christina Ricci just looks so hauntingly beautiful in this movie. Yeah, she does. She She's really does. She so looks like beautiful a ghost. in this movie. Like yes. she could she could not necessarily be a, like maybe this is all in his head. Although, obviously, that would cause a whole lot of plot holes, but I could believe that in the storytelling. That's true. <clears throat> but speaking of, speaking of um, the, the movie, the, the aesthetic as itself, I, I think it's, I think, did they build that village? They like, did. Because it looks, it looks just perfect in its, you know, <laughs> in, in uh, mm-hmm. the, how do I say this? It's in its ruin. It looks like a ruined village. Yes. And, uh, but, but. At the same time, I'm, I'm just wondering, would you guys want to ever, would you guys live there? Turn of the century, 1799, would you guys live in that village? I mean, I don't know if I'd want to live in that period of time, but I would love to stay a week in that village because it looks really cool. And they, they actually did build it. They did two things. They built that village outside as facades and stuff. And then they actually built uh, the Western Woods in a soundstage. Well, yeah, that, and oh, cool. with like these backgrounds because they wanted to make it look like the old horror films of the 1940s and 50s or even gotcha. before that. Uh, and that's kind of the inspiration behind the whole look 
and then we got to talk Chiba Lubeski in a little bit because, uh, yeah, we got to mention that guy. Well, to answer your question, Peter, I would walk a mile in those buckled shoes. <laughs> There's... I don't think I could. Uh, I don't think I could live there. I just don't think I could put up with the smell. You know. What about like, you, Peter? Uh, I'd want to try and live there for like a month. You know what I mean, and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> if I get into a argument with Baltus Van Tassel, then um, yeah, someone's gonna have to leave town. <laughs> Rob, I think he uh, he definitely beat us on this one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know. I just get fascinated with that. T- with a lot of different, you know me, I'm a historian. So I like to, yeah. I, I look at different areas of time and I'm, I always like try to put myself in that era, um, in that, um, era. And I'm always like, well, what would it have been like, you know, without cell phones, nothing to do. You're raising cows. Oh, you're talking about actually living in the time yeah, period. Yes. Oh, I don't know if I'd want to live in the time period. I, I mean, wanna, I think I said that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe for a month for me and then come back. Maybe a week for me. I'd try it out. I, I just want Ichabod Crane's costume. I think he looks yeah. badass. I yes. really like that long coat with the, with the neck uh, lapels and stuff. It's just really cool. Yeah. I, I think that's a style I'm going to try and bring back. Um, <laughs> 2021. Just I might have to do everyone. that too. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I might have to do that. Myself. We should just all three of us just like walk Start around like that like and that. just like influence the new fashion. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Photo shoot coming up whenever I can travel to the West Coast. (laughs) There you go. So anyway, guys, I I do. I I think we should mention three-time Oscar winner Chivo Emanuel, Emanuel Chivo Lubezki, who is a Mexican cinematographer who was used for this. He um, is exceptionally talented, uh, and obviously his last uh, two Oscars were for Gravity and for The Revenant, right? But um, looking at this film, right, this film has a very stylized look as we established, but it is a particularly creepy, well-done film that just... The, the texture, the color palette, everything about it. It's just, he is a brilliant cinematographer. Every frame of this movie, the movement of the camera, the composition, everything about it. Just that one subtle part where uh, Depp is explaining, remember, like the, the, he's recounting the murder. Yeah. The and he just leans down. in and he's like, also decapitated. It's just so well done for the story. And I, I really want to give that guy kudos because that's the first movie I ever saw that Chivo uh, photographed. Yeah, it was outstanding. I like you felt like you could like feel the texture while watching this movie. I don't know if that's no, giving no. him enough credit, well, but like no, every every frame in the movie is like is like a is like a feast. You know what I mean? You're like, wow, yeah. it's a feast for your eyes. You know, yeah. like one of my favorite shots that stands out to me is you know it's a it's a it's a Dutch angle. It's it's when Katrina and Ichabod go to Katrina's old house and they find the archer in the back of the, in the back of the chimney. And he starts showing her the Cardinal, which he uses to think when right. he's thinking he uses, you know, he's, he's spinning that Cardinal around. And, um, and then they have that Cardinal being spun in frame at the bottom of the frame. And it's a Dutch angle with her at the top of the frame looking at it. And that shot, I don't know why it always stood out to me. And it, but it was like the best way to, for her to be really like concentrating on Ichabod, but at the same time, fascinated with the way he thinks about, you know, how he, how he dissects things in his mind. 
if there was one thing, guys, that you could change about this movie, what would it be? If there was like, oh, here is, it is. is there, here is it there is. something that's, I know, right? I'm always the one yeah. that, that brings these kind of questions. Uh-oh, <laughs> strap in, everyone. <laughs> uh, Rob, you want to go ahead before, because I need to digest this one a little bit. I think mine is kind of twofold, but are ultimately the same thing. Okay. I think this uh, suffered from some pre-production problems and like who was going to make this story. Mm. And so like Tim Burton had, I kind of mentioned this earlier, Tim Burton had to take the reins on something that had already been started and make it Tim Burton-y because how do you do anything else when, you know, you're creating something of your own. Right. But like in doing so, I felt that aspects of the story um, how do I say this? Like when we figure out that Lady Van Tassel um, is exposed as being the villain of the movie, she kind of villain monologues a bit much. Yeah. And it was hard to, after I saw that, it was hard to be like, would I have been able to put those pieces together in watching this movie? I don't think I would have been. And I think it's, partly a choice to not allow the audience to figure out who the murderer is. But I feel like when you get a long villain monologue and also realize like, Oh, this is telling me I wouldn't have been able to figure it out. Um, I just felt like that. I don't know how, but I feel like it could have been executed a little bit better. I, yeah. I mean, for me personally, what I would have changed and it, it's not because I don't think that, I don't think that these scenes are are terrible. I just I, I actually would have gotten rid of the flashbacks to Ichabod Crane's past because while we are diving into the character and exploring his history, I don't understand how relevant it really is to you know. This, I get that it's because you know he shut off his brains as a natural and he's like more of a logical mind or whatever. But I'm like I don't really need to go back into his mother's past to get that like. I rather that he is a logical mind of science and stuff like that and that he's swayed to believe in something else. And I think I would have used that time to maybe establish the whodunit part of the story a little bit better, like you said, you know, like the Archer yeah. thing. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it, he is investigating and he always says it at one point, he's like someone who controls him, you know what I mean? A man of flesh and blood, like as, as I've always said, you know, like that then we realize, okay, there's something afoot here in the conspiracy and everything like that, but it just kind of gets muddled a little bit with the supernatural side of the story. So I think I would have, my personal choice would have been, I would have cut the bat, the, the flashback scenes and because they always happen like when Ichabod like faints, right. And stuff. So it's like, I would have cut those yeah. out and I would have dove in, dove more into the other characters and kind of maybe show the audience what we're being told at the end, as opposed to, just that monologue where, I mean, it makes sense. She wants revenge on the person who sure. killed her or whatever. But I was just like, you kill Van Garrett at the very beginning of the movie, like in the carriage. And you just kind of like, okay, like who's this old man? Why did he get killed? And then all of a sudden it's like, that's what ties into the very end. I, I agree with you, Rob. It, it, I would have changed that aspect of it. But I will say, I still love this movie how it is 100%. Like if, if it didn't change, I would still love it as much as I do. Yeah, so. I still had a blast watching it. And I think just to add on to that, because Peter, I want to hear your thoughts on this too, but uh, I would have liked more from the twin sister, Witch in the Woods. Grown, yeah, really, yeah. 
Like that aesthetic, like I love the movie The Witch, although it's a really hard watch sometimes. Yeah. Like You know what? I haven't oh, seen that one. Do you recommend it? Is it cool? Yeah, but uh, just it make sure. It could have been better. It, it could. There are aspects of it that definitely could have been better, but okay. I do think you will enjoy sitting down and watching that period okay. piece. Okay. Um, but what about you, Peter? Well, um, I kind of agree with you guys. First of all, like with the with the the sister Crone, um, she said during that whole scene, uh, it's not established. When the other comes, I will hold him. Who's the other? We never get right. a chance. We never get the. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that's just one aspect that I'm like, and I agree with Rob. I would have cut the flashbacks too. I would have made him even more logical, and and his logic being his downfall in right. this case. Right. Okay. And no reason, like we just get the character right. of Ichabod Crane. It's a, don't get me wrong. I love this film. I'm just like you know, I'm going off on a critique now, and right. um, for me, it goes back to Friday the Thirteenth. I'm wondering how Miranda Richardson's character, who isn't very well established at the beginning of the film, she's just kind of like there clutching, you know, mm-hmm. Katrina is like, oh my God, oh no, but she never really mm-hmm. says anything right. until toward the end. It, right. it has like Valerian, which we talked about, and, and, and Friday the 13th. When she knocks out Katrina, how in the hell does this woman, who is on Uh-oh. the second or third level of right. that house, knocks out <laughs> Katrina... First of all, has the upper body strength to do such a thing and then is able to drag her from the second or third story of that house to the windmill, which has got to be about two miles away. I mean, she might have at put, least. Her on a, on a, put her on her couch. Remember, she sold her soul, so she may have some uh, some demon strength okay, in right. there. You I mean, know, like. But see, that's the point. I would have liked to have established her character a little bit more than yeah. just like the the wife of Baltus until the end when we find out that she's the killer. I will, I will say one interesting thing though. Like that, a tattoo of the archer on her back or something. Yeah. I mean that, that could have been cool. I mean, like I said, I think that they should have, they should have gone back and explored that aspect a little more. But one thing that I do like, and I think that some movies either do it well or they do it poorly. Right. Is that sometimes it's okay not to know all the answers because you want to create a little bit of the mystery so that your mind engages and, and starts to think and it becomes thought provoking. When, when you're given the answer, sometimes it's kind of a letdown, right? It's kind of like the whole mystery with Jaws. When you don't see the shark, it's almost more terrifying than when you see the shark yes. and then you, you realize it's kind of fake looking, right? So I do like sometimes when lore or mystery and some of it leaves you with questions because you want to go back and explore it. Well, well hold on. The other though, when the other comes, I will hold him. Right. Who's the other? Right. But that's what I mean. Like, it's like, do I 100% need to know? Does, is she referring about the horseman? Is she referring about some demon entity or whatever? Like, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, the only thing that I would have changed in that though, is like the bulging Medusa eyes that come oh, out God. of her or whatever. Like I was like, <laughs> eh, I mean, like we could have, we could have done without the eyes and it still would have been a quick scary jump scare if it's just like a big like if her eyes widened and it was like black pitch or, or no, like just something. like just the face that it looks like yeah ah, yeah know? exactly that would no have been eyes. unexpected but the, the eye thing kind of made it a little too goofy for me well i'm glad you brought that up because i think this era of cinema and we've touched on it in the past and maybe that's a phrase i need to stop saying because we're always going to refer the movies we've seen right but um i find late 90s early 2000s movies especially interesting because all of the 
tech and CGI really started exponentially growing in the ability. Maybe right. not in the believability, but like, oh shit, we can make eyes gouge out and the tongue go long and turn into a snake and make Christopher Walken's head appear through the muscle and sinews and whatnot on the skull. Like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. We haven't been able to do that. And as you alluded to earlier, guys, you know, like that kind of became an issue and arguably a problem for Tim Burton and more of his more recent films. Right. But um, it's, it's, it's an interesting time capsule to be like, yeah, these people are having fun with the things that are now available to them through whether that be budget or computer technology. And <clears throat> it's not always going to succeed, but I really like looking at those scenes strictly for like, oh, well, if this movie was made in, you know, 1989, right. what would that choice have been, you know? And I'm one of those people that, look, man, I absolutely love CG visual effects. I think that it is a great art form. It's an amazing tool that we have at our disposal to now bring certain things to life that we couldn't, you know, we're creating worlds mm -hmm. and, and, and certain things that now sometimes I even forget that they're visual effects because they're so well done. But I'm also a person that loves practical effects and the, the practicality is I because agree. you get the, like you get to play in that world as you're making it and the actors get to experience something tactile and stuff like that. Like granted, you know, for a movie like the one that we made, like the ride and like, you know, we were restrained with budgets. We couldn't build a lot of things that we were going to do. So I had to rely on the visual effects on that. But if I really had my choice, I would actually dive in almost 60% practical, 40% CGI, which I think is the healthy balance, sometimes even 70-30. And this movie does that. This movie does the practical, and then there's very subtle CG effects, like the removal of the head or when the horseman comes out of the, uh, the tree, which I actually thought was cool. But everything Hell else yeah. is practical, and it gives it a tactile, real feeling to the style that, like, doesn't take you out of the story when you watch it. You know, like when you watch a CG thing, like people already know like, oh yeah, no, the graphics looked really great. I hate that phrase, by the way, because it's not graphics. It's, it's, it's the visual effects look great. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not a yeah. video game, but that's what people <laughs> resort to because they associate it with that kind of uh, culture, which I is hear unfortunate. I think my favorite scene in the movie is when Ichabod first addresses the the men of the town and like he you know they tell him the story of the Hessian yeah. and he's like freaking yeah. out but then he's like you know the 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 killer is a man of flesh and blood and I will discover it. and like he kind of goes and like I feel like that is just such a world building mood setting tone setting scene for the entire film. Like I just remember watching it and just feeling like Ichabod Crane absorbing this history and like seeing him in this like, you know, old house with the fire and these men in these period clothes. And then like when he's like, we have murders in New York that, you know, no ghouls or gums or whatever. And Michael Gambon's just like, you're a long way from New York. Like it's just yeah. such a great tone setting scene that I really like it. And I actually, my favorite shot I think is when the Hessian gets his head cut off. Cause it's like, we're looking at it from the underneath perspective and this yeah. sword's coming down and it just cuts right at the right point. Right. Where you're just like, Whoa, like that, that it was just, it, it just, a, it was a really good visual storytelling uh, moment for me. So 
Yeah, I agree with you guys on a lot of those. I think that um, in the church scene, before the the harpooning happens, like or as it's happening, I should say, the red yeah. cross in the stained glass like bounces the same way I talked about the blood bouncing every time you see a kill in this movie right. and it is like burned into me like that scene looks so good with like the red cross harpoon going through and that glass just shattering looks right. so cool also when the blood gets splattered across the jack-o-lantern's face like it's a great homage to the original story and just looks creepy as hell i love it and the chase scene, just being on top of that carriage. Oh, yeah, that was, that was great. so fucking cool. Oh, yeah. And the, there's something about this movie, too, that, like, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't, like, the intensity is felt through the sound design. Like, you hear these hoofs are really heavy. They're not the clip-clop, clip-clop that you're used to hearing. It's like a... It was something that, like, really stuck with me. It's like, that's how you create that intensity. It's through that sound design that yeah. makes it like you know when 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 ichabod like first encounters brahm and like even the horse runs away like you hear this it just gives it like that little supernatural touch that made it awesome i will say actually that my second favorite scene is when ichabod is examining Mazbeth's uh body oh and, yeah and that quirkiness of it it was like you know like uh, him interacting with the, with the characters glass, the, the little- with the big glasses but also when they're like uh precisely so why was the head removed why? Right. And the, right. it's just like such a great character moment for Depp that I, I just really enjoyed those moments uh, for Ichabod. Like it, it's just, it's just like um, eye candy for me the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, I think that we have a winner on our hands. I think we've definitely explained why this is a punch yourself in the face movie. Oh, oh yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. Do you have a big, t- I mean, I know I've, Get your pencils ready. The pop quiz is coming. (laughs) Do you guys have a big Tim Burton takeaway after watching this movie? Like, because I feel that, like, Rob, you talked about this movie and Big Fish being like pivotal pivotal points in the Tim Burton oeuvre. But, like, I really feel like this movie more than Big Fish is the final stage of like um, past Tim Burton and everything after this movie is Tim Burton that we know today. And I'm willing to be corrected on it, but that's just how my memory works. And I feel like there is a, there is a pre sleepy hollow and a post sleepy hollow and sleepy hollow is that like ether middle realm of like you can start seeing where his brain's going to work but he's still like using tools from his everything leading up to it yeah so i mean i'll say look big fish for me i think because big fish is more of a dramatic story right and Mm -hmm. it's a different type of movie than what sleepy hollow is i think sleepy hollow is a departure of tim burton's like filmmaking but although he brings it back with corpse bride and frankenweenie uh but those are stop motion animation films right so they're, they're it's a different uh tool set but in terms of this movie i think it is a departure of like what i came to love about tim burton which was his visual style like when we talk about the motifs like that windmill the tree of the dead like all these like visual you know like in if Tim Burton were to make Sleepy Hollow now, I guarantee you that Tree of the Dead would have been completely CGI'd. It wouldn't have been built. 
You know what I mean? I agree with that. It would have been a different look. He would have used green screen for those backgrounds instead of the, you know, the spilt soundstage with the painted backdrops, like, you know, the old matte paintings and stuff like that. Like, you know, I think he would have approached it in a more digital sense as opposed to a more practical sense. And I think that that's kind of what the difference is for me is that Tim Burton entered the digital age, the Disney age. He got, you know, kind of pigeonholed as like a Disney uh, fairy well, he was tale. Working on the Fox and Hound, he hated every moment of it. But he worked on the animation for a bunch of movies. Right, right, right. And I, I just feel like you know, Sleepy Hollow just has all of those qualities, which to me made Tim Burton who Tim Burton is. Like what made Tim Burton great was Batman, Batman Returns, Edward Scissorhands. I mean, you could argue all the other ones in between, but that that and Sleepy Hollow, those movies all stand out to me as like, those are irrevocably like visually Tim Burton. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I think that there are, I, I will second you on that. I think that they're all very Tim Burton's, but Tim Burton movies, they, they stand <laughs> out. They're very quirky. However, I will say this for me, Tim Burton is one of those guys who needs a little bit of, um, how do you say it? Heavy handedness from the producers. And what do I mean by that? You got you got Batman, right? The first one, and he was like, you know, he was not. I wouldn't say pigeonholed. He was able Batman eighty nine. He was able to do his thing, right? But he still worked with with. Uh, he was like a first time director. He worked with Jack Nicholson, who had been the business forever, and uh, and and the studio was not really too trusting of him. So by the time Batman Returns came along, the studio was like, okay, this is disgusting. So <laughs> with this movie. Unlike, uh, like I like I pointed out, if it was 2009 Tim Burton, this movie would have looked totally different. It would have been super over the top. And what I mean by like him not being able to have free reign, Francis Ford Coppola was one of the producers on this movie. So you know that oh. some of the producers had a heavy hand on what he was doing. They didn't let him go off on a tangent, you know? And that's what I think, that's what I will take away from Tim Burton. If you have... He, he will make something amazing if you have if you have people standing in his way from going too off the rails, which is impossible now because now he's just Tim Burton. So he, you know they just give him money and he just makes a movie. You know what I mean? Back then, yeah, he he was a little bit pigeonholed, especially after Batman Returns. People were like, okay, we need to keep an eye on you so you don't go off on a tangent and start making something that is crazy. Like you, like the shadows movie that he did with Johnny Depp. I mean, that was right. terrible. Dark you know? shadows. Yeah. So he needs like, in my opinion, you put the quirkiness in, but you also need to hold him back just a little bit. But and I that's also, when you get a really good timber. I just also think that in general, filmmakers are oversaturated with choices nowadays. Yeah, you know what I mean? True. Like, like yeah, Tim, yeah. Tim didn't have the tools that he has now to execute certain things. So you had to get, you had to get more creative with filmmaking now that you can basically do anything that almost looks But that could be a drawback too. No, it is. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that because you have the option now to be like, I can do anything I could possibly want visually that will look photo real. It's almost like you're, you have way too many choices. And I feel like, and again, it's, this is basically psychology. Like the human brain isn't designed to, to process so many choices. So you kind of go off the rails a little bit with what you can do. Cause then you can be like, I can do this and I can do that. And then we can add that. And it's like, you could almost overdo it because you have such a wide palette of tools to use as opposed to back then when you had to kind of plan and stick to a theme and execute 
with what you could make, you know? And I think that that's what grounded him a little more as a filmmaker. But I still think the man is brilliant. You know, you look at his artwork, you look at his notebooks, you look at his earlier uh, imaginings. and, And, you know, Tim Burton is just, you know, you know a Tim Burton film when you see it. Let me tell you guys, I think what I like to, when I get into a Tim Burton conversation with anyone, uh, let alone the experts here at Magical at the Movies, um, <laughs> I like to I like to remind people that like, Beetlejuice is great, Batman is great, you know, uh, Edward Scissorhands, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, but if you really want to see the skill of Tim Burton as a filmmaker, make yeah. sure you also watch Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah, you know? you're right. Ah. It is such a like style of Tim Burton, but like an homage to a filmmaker he loves. And like none of this, none of the special effects, none of the weirdness. I mean, it's still a weird movie, but like it's totally approached from this like, I'm telling the tale of the guy who made Plan 9 from Outer Space and all the weirdness that happened with that. Right. And I think it really shows you that like, yeah, maybe uh, maybe dark shadows happened, but like yeah. this guy and well, Alice in like, Wonderland, throw that in there too. But you really grab Tim Burton's career, you divide it in half. You go from the movies from like his first film, which was Pee Wee's Big Adventure, yeah, which was such a weird, crazy movie, but it's still so great. All yep. the way up to about Big Fish, which is where I kind of do the separation. That those those movies had a style, uh, 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 like a, just a signature that was like what I came to love about Tim Burton. And then everything after Big Fish has a Disney, colorful, just overly CG look that like that is the new Tim Burton style. That I'm not really. I mean, it's okay, but like it's not what I came to love about the filmmaker. You know what I mean? Yep, I am. Truly worried, but I will be seeing Beetlejuice 2. Uh, yes. Um, Hopefully we okay. get what we need. Uh, <laughs> Peter doesn't hey sound guys, too convinced. Uh, <laughs> um, we're approaching our time, but I want to say that like, I could talk about Tim Burton till the cows come home. Yeah, um, me too. But we have, if I'm not mistaken, a wild card episode coming up next week. Oh, we do. And I know we don't want to give too much of that away. We probably still need to go through some logistics of that. But I want to remind the folks uh, that our last wildcard episode, people really loved. And I like the idea of a game. I like the idea of involving uh, a couple of drinks. (laughs) Maybe we can uh, figure out some fun Halloween stuff to do. I... 100% 100% agree. Uh, but again, guys, this has been awesome. This is great uh, to revisit these kind of movies that uh, we all seem to just love and, and process and from different perspectives. So again, guys, thank you for the time. My favorite day of the week, as you guys all say yeah. as well. Uh, this has been great. I've, I've, been, I've enjoyed uh, Sleepy Hollow with you guys. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure to remind everyone to visit Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star rating and review and let us know the movies you love. They're coming in. I'm going to read some of them in upcoming episodes, but I really want to get that that uh, that list going. 
Well, guys, this has been Sleepy Hollow. This was awesome. I, I actually, uh, I love it. I enjoy watching this movie. Whenever I get a chance to sit down and actually watch it, it is a feast for the eyes. I hope everybody agrees. I hope everybody goes and watches it. It's uh, one of Tim Burton's best, as we discussed over here. But right now we're going to take off. So for Rob and Rob, I am Peter Madrigal, and you're listening to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. See you next time.